Hello and welcome to episode number 43 of the Waters Wavelength Podcast. My name is Dandy Francesco. I'm the deputy editor of Cellside Technology. As always, I'm joined by my co-host, U.S. editor of Waters Technology, Anthony Malikian. Hello. So as you can tell by the title, we're going for the buzzwords, the catchphrases. We got regtech, we got fintech, we got spoofing, HFT, lots of exciting stuff, lots of stuff that grabbed the headlines. We're going to start with regtech, Joanna Wright over at our uh, sibling publication Inside Reference Data, wrote a great feature this week, kind of looking at RegTech, you know, which is basically startups aiming to deliver technology to kind of ease up on the regulatory burden. Uh, reading the piece, I had some strong takes on it. I don't, okay. what, what Go do for you, it. Well, lead, lead off, man. So I think Set the that tone for we're the gonna day. Talk, we're going to talk about fintech afterwards. We're going to talk about a recent... Uh, you know, how the SEC is basically looking, and I guess we can kind of gel these two together, but how the SEC is looking to kind of make sure they they monitor fintech properly. But I think it's ironic that, or very hypocritical, the regulators, when it comes to fintech, we got to keep an eye on, you know, we can't let them get out of control. We need to make sure they're, they're under lock and key. But when it comes to reg tech, when it's technology that's basically going to help them with this massive amount of data that they can't grasp because it's so you know, beyond, sorry, there's like a tapping on our door. I don't know don't what worry. that was. They're just, don't worry, it's just people just doing some work outside. I think it's, uh, I think it's hypocritical that you have the regulators say, oh, well, you know, when it's this, we can let them play in the sandbox. We cannot be as hard as them on regulatory reasons. We can kind of give them more of a leash because at the end of the day, the stuff that they're coming up with is going to directly help us with doing our job. Am I wrong on that take, or what do you think? I'll be honest with you. I've read a lot on RegTech, and I'm other than it just being a way to differentiate yourself through search engine optimization, I don't see how it's you know it's like they're saying it's this instead of using fintech. Well, now we're just going to use RegTech. You know, is kind of just a little bit of a differentiator. But this idea that. Because people are trying to say, like, these academics try to say, well, it's about standardization and it's about, you know, bringing together processes to make everything in line, you know, making, you know, a standardized process across banks and across regulators. But meanwhile, we have a hundred or so new uh, reg tech startups. So they don't want standardization. There is no standardization around. It's just another buzzword that's being thrown around is an absolutely useless term that it's stupid it's 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 a marketing term to be able to differentiate your your regulation uh focused software needs from just your traditional trading technology banking technology needs but i think it goes beyond a buzzword i mean in the story mentioned this how specifically in the uk it seems this has been a big thing um a regulator funded 300 companies, held roundtables with industry participants, and organized hackathon tech sprint. This is the FCA. The FCA has also created a regulatory sandbox built as a safe testing environment for products and services where companies will not incur any penalties if they do not meet FCA standards. So that's a direct benefit that these reg techs are getting. So I think it's a little bit beyond just a, a word or a label. I agree. It's definitely a lot of just as with the cloud and with blockchain, and blockchain made an appearance in this story, which I found interesting. Um, but just as with all those things, uh, I think it's definitely slap it on. It's going to give us a couple more clicks. It'll give us a couple more interest. Maybe we'll and get if a you're a startup, interviews. get you a couple more dollars. All of a sudden, your valuation goes up because you're reg tech. But there is a differentiation with this 
reg tech. It's not simply a word because whether you agree with it or not, these firms are getting benefits that other firms aren't getting. In the sandbox, you're saying by being right able in the to... sandbox and kind of the regulators are turning the other cheek a little bit and letting them kind of build up and and get their feet. Okay, but how is it any di- right now? FinTech firm, you know, it's the regulators are allowing you know well, your no, well, that's... software and stuff like that to go about. Well, I think that gets to the the story that that you and you and James uh, wrote around the Risk USA Peter Pete Driscoll of the SEC OCIE mm-hmm. office talking about how you know we kind of need to crack down on these fintechs. That's the kind of the exact opposite of what's happening with these regtechs. So I think that is where the differentiation. Do you think is. that Pete Driscoll, and it's not a knock on Pete Driscoll, the SEC, okay, mm-hmm. always playing catch up? Think about this. So what was it in two thousand fifteen? The, so this is a different story. So this was um, Pete Driscoll is speaking at Risk USA, just to kind of get you caught up, um, and just talking about where. So he oversees the um, the office, uh, or he's a chief risk and strategy officer for the Office of Compliance Inspections and Examinations, and so they are. He was talking a little bit about their investment, and then I went and pulled up the SEC's um, budget request for for 2017. In the budget request, the OCIE, the OCIE um, has grown its staff uh, for technology controls program inspections from 20 in fiscal year 2015 to about 100 this year, an estimated 100, and then they're requesting 115 uh, full-time employee uh, um, positions for fiscal year 2017 for technologies for its technology controls program. They're including RegTech and all that. They're including all technology. He's just not splicing out what fintech is and what regulations. They're just trying to throw bodies at whatever kind of new technology they're facing. I don't think that these RegTechs are getting away with anything extra, anything special, anything. You know, I think that you know these these sandboxes that exist. Okay, it's great, but then you're going to have to eventually have them in real world. You move sure. from a sandbox to real world, and so RegSci is going to incorporate some of that reg tech, whether or not you want to call it reg tech, you're still going to be a technology company. It's going to be underneath the auspices of reg sci. You know, you don't get to say, oh, I don't have to adhere to those because I'm a reg tech company. It doesn't work that way. You don't think that, all right, if there's a fintech company that maybe helps prop shops or speed trading, right, and they're an up-and-comer, they're not going to get a closer look. Because he mentions right here, and I, you know, I kind of hate the first. They should get a closer look because what they're doing is going to have more of an impact on markets as opposed to a company, a regulation platform, a, regu- a reporting platform. That doesn't have an impact. You're not going to make um, it doesn't have a spoofing r- trades and stuff like that on a, on the larger market impact. It has it's an individual reporting system for a bank. Yes, it's very very important for the bank. But if they screw up on their reporting, their filing, because their reg tech you know platform didn't quite you know get the uh, the numbers right, they're going to get hit with the fine. But it's not going to set off markets or anything like that. You don't think that could impact what they're reporting to the industry and then what the industry eventually sees? They're not reporting to the industry. They're reporting to regulators. The the, the industry isn't going to have the doesn't have access to that information. Right. I know, but I think that the reporting is also extremely consequential and important to the fabric of the community because that's just the way it is that's the way the markets have been built you have to report certain things yeah and you're going to still have to do that whether you give it the reg tech name or not you're going to still have to do that but 
There should be more oversight of a trading system that is sending out orders into a market as opposed to a, a regulatory reporting system that doesn't have any impact on the market as so a whole. So then we're getting back to what we said originally, which is there is a difference between a fintech and a regtech because a fintech is going to get a closer look because you feel a fintech has it's a more impactful. It's all falls under not but it's every, but it's not because they're looking at it differently it's just a marketing term it's a it, it that's why it comes down to just a simple marketing term there is nothing special about reg tech it, there's truly nothing special about it but th it is because they're getting these sandboxes and these things that that these other fintechs aren't getting the same opportunities this whole thing I, I think we're getting caught up here on a sandbox thing that means nothing it's something that you get to toy around with yeah but or the funding that they're getting from the sfc do you not see well the that? money well the money that is a, again exactly the money is going into it and that is where that's why firms are labeling themselves as reg tech because they're going to get more investment which gets back to my point that there is a difference between reg tech and fintech whether you believe there isn't there's a fundamental firms some firms this firm is getting are, are getting money and these firms aren't getting money so that makes a substantial difference between the two. I guess call it whatever the fuck you want to call it, okay? It's all technology. It's all going to be in the financial services industry. You want to call it reg tech, go right ahead. But this idea that this is some revolutionary new thing, I, okay. when regulatory technologies existed, there's nothing new about this. I'm not, I, I'm not by any means saying that it's this new – I, I agree with what you're saying, but – I, I guess I'm what I'm maybe what we're not communicating with each other is I think that there is a difference between the reg techs and the fintechs because the reg techs are getting money. They're getting these benefits from the regulars because the regulars are swamped. We talked about this with Reg AT. Mm. They don't have the capabilities to look at all this data mm -hmm. that's being reported to them. They just simply can't. They, ju they just don't have the capabilities. So they're saying, shit, well, what can we do? Well, if we look at these new innovative companies that are creating these solutions to kind of report more efficiently and, and kind of more seamless workflows and kind of help us look at this data, then that's going to help us do our job better. That's going to lower costs. So we're going to give these guys all these benefits. So that's why reg techs are different from then just somebody that wants to work, you know, help prop shops be able to trade quicker or be able to trade more efficiently or something. Mm -hmm. For those guys, they're saying, well, you know what? Screw you. We've got enough headaches from quote unquote HFTs. We're going to look at you even harder and make sure you guys are doing your things. And you're definitely not going to be able to play around in our sandbox or get any money from us. That's the way I view it. I, and, you know, maybe this is probably just more a problem on my part because everything you said makes complete sense. I I I I just think that the whole idea of reg tech is stupid. Is <laughs> basically what it comes and, down to. And, and I guess what I'm saying is I'm not disagreeing with that uh -huh. sentiment, and I'm sentiment, and I'm not saying that it's not all kind of BS, but it's BS that has some backing because the regulators are giving it backing now by giving these guys more free reign to kind of run around and play, and that's why it has some cachet, whether you like the term or not. <laughs> Let me ask you this. You're hi -oh. for, for some reason our phone is ringing in here. Um, so let me ask you this: a company that is developing very intelligent using uh, machine learning, okay, okay. algorithms to um, let's say that they are able to build something that can truly uh, find. You know, you can take like let, let's say hypothetically speaking here, you have a company like maybe like a data miner or something like that, and they're taking these satellite images or the next step taking drone images of parking lots and stuff like that around uh, earnings season to, to try, and they can take massive amounts of unstructured data, 
boil it down into a report for a hedge fund that can then use that information to make um, a trade. To bet on it. Yeah. They're going to get paid, and they're going to get paid a lot more. They're just not getting any sort of a, a regulation stipend or whatever the hell, whatever is kind of being thrown around with the FCA. I don't know. They're going to get their money because it's a much more sexier money-making endeavor. Is a product that makes money. The reg tech stuff, it's reducing a headache. It's trying to cut back on costs that you can invest in innovative things. But there's a ceiling there as to, you know, how much money you're going to really freaking make with this stuff. You know, I, I don't know. I, so, okay. Oh, sorry. Go on, go on, go on. So then I lost – so I guess my – so then the, the point is do you think it's fair that the first firm you mentioned, right, that's doing the drones and helping out the hedge funds, that they have a tougher hill to climb than a firm they that may, maybe – The regulators it. do not overlook these companies. Like they, they, we're pretending here like they, like they, like – Data mine and stuff like that is going underneath these massive audits by the SEC. That is not happening right now. There's a lot of people that complain about well, and well, I we're guess, using these companies. Why are we? Why do we, the bank, have to take on so much regulation when and oversight when we're using these companies? Shouldn't these vendors start getting more oversight? Well, but that we're not there yet. I know, at all. but I, that's where I think the conversation is heading, and that's what I think Pete Driscoll was talking about. Now, granted, you said, and it's kind of true. Part of it was probably oh, I have so many issues. I just need more help and whatever. I respect the hell out of Pete for doing that because I do the same thing. You know, I mean, they're hiring on quants to help them and and former high former traders that worked at high frequency trading shops to better understand the practice and better understand the technologies and algorithms and modeling used to make those uh, strategies happen. But so yeah, they're they're adding on that, but they're not going to, you know, they're more concerned about internally built proprietary systems. How do we not let this go out of hand where you are rushing to market with a new product, with a new um, trading system that you're talking internal, not not internal, with the vendor. Yeah, yeah. Um, that that could that we're not sure how it's going to interact with the markets. I think they're more concerned about that than they are about trading technologies putting out, you know, a new, um, you know, a new uh, uh, component to their OMS, you know, something like that. You don't think the pendulum will swing, though? Because of, like you said, the big banks kind of moaning and groaning that, oh, these fintechs don't have to fall under the same requirements and they can be innovative, but they don't have the regulations. You don't think eventually that's going to swing in there and say, all right, we're going to take a more, a much no, more serious have, look. They don't have the ability to. They don't. They, they would have to hire on. A, they would have to get a budget approved through the U.S. government. Good luck. That would have to dramatically expand the scope of their oversight operation if they're going to start bringing in vendors no chance it's going to happen no chance they're going to get the budget for that to happen okay fair enough and i was right about who's going to win the election yeah so exactly I clearly right? know when, what the hell i'm talking when's about when's the last time you've ever been wrong never, never. been wrong. so clearly take that to the bank yep. uh fintechs if you're listening you're good keep doing a bunch of illegal shit because <laughs> no one's going to find out because there's just no oversight from the government uh speaking of oversight speaking of hft um Tony, how about you talk about this? Because I cannot, I do not know the correct pronunciation of the, the man's the name. Navinder Sarau. <laughs> um, so uh, UK, he's a day trader, Navinder Sarau. Uh, he uh, bailed in his extradition case, so he was sent from the UK to the US to face uh, charges, something like twenty some odd, twenty two counts of fraud, um, which he was indicted in two thousand fifteen. So appearing in a Chicago court um, uh, last week. 
Uh, he pleaded guilty to one count of wire fraud and one count of spoofing. And the interesting thing, I think, from this case is because his name has been linked uh, very closely and the government, uh, the U.S. government has tried to portray the flash crash as being in large part because of his activities, his spoofing um, activities. Um, he had, this is from a Financial Times article. Uh, he admitted to entering more than 85 spoof orders to sell e-minis on the day of the crash. Uh, so this is, um, uh, what the hell is it, uh, May, uh, May 10th, was it? May 5th? God, 2010 in May. I can't remember the exact day. Spring um, of 2010. Yeah, I can't, I can't believe I already forgot the date. Um, but so he, May 6th. Um, May 6th, there we go. So 85 uh, spoof orders uh, to sell e-minis on the day of the crash, which represented at different times of the day more than 20% of all visible e-mini orders. Um, and then you have Leslie Caldwell, Assistant Attorney General in the DO, uh, Department of Justice Criminal Division, quote, by flooding the marketplace with bogus orders, his scheme victimized countless individuals. Our success in bringing Sorrell uh, to justice in the U.S. shows the criminal division will root out complex financial fraud and manipulation of the financial markets, no matter where the perpetrators are located. We'll just ignore the fact that, you know, 2008, we didn't really see any, you know, and any of these bankers that were <laughs> engaging in illegal activities go to jail. We'll ignore the fact that Wells Fargo stump, you know, just able to get his golden parachute as he leaves uh, Wells Fargo. We'll just ignore all that, I guess. I guess the thing that we have to be careful about, the thing that makes the case interesting. So, yeah, he, he was spoofing great. And this is the second time since so 2010 spoofing became illegal under Dodd-Frank. This is the second time that um, that they brought charges against somebody. And uh, we were able to uh, make it stick with, uh, stick with uh, Michael Koskia uh, being the other one that got uh, hit with um, a huge fine and could face some jail time. And Sorrell could face uh, some jail time as well. That said... Be careful when we say that this now saw. We now know what caused the flash nailed it. Crash. They got Tony. Yeah. What are you talking? They got it. They so, got. We got. We got the guy. Flash crash is solved. It's all done. No reason to do market reconstruction. Yep. We got the guy. It's it's that simple. He's gone. So no more. So I mean, as was stated back in January of this year, uh, a few professors from the University of California at Santa Cruz and from Stanford, uh, they put out a paper titled "A Flash Crash: A New Deconstruction." It's one of many many academic papers that have been put out to try and figure out what happened on the day of the flash crash still have no idea what it was but their conclusion was largely that um the charges against uh Sorrell are probably overblown uh and to me that makes me happy to know that a day trader can't in the uk the system. <laughs> can blow up the system can cause a huge flash crash in the u.s <laughs> if that is the case then i think that we really do need to consider the state of our financial system and the security around it. Um, so I think that just just jumping to conclusion that okay, he admitted to guilt. Great, we're all set. We figured out the flash crash. That you can't go down that road. I think that we still have no idea what caused the flash crash. And I think then my personal opinion is that he, this guy's being used as a bit of a flashy case that we can bring before you know the people. A, a scapegoat, would you a say? A bit of a scapegoat, Would you perhaps. call him a scapegoat? A bit of a scapegoat. Hey, listen, he did something illegal, and he's going to take a fine for it. This, they were saying the, the, the originally the, the maximum was like 300 years in prison or something like that. It's like, <laughs> give me a break, people. Give me a freaking break. Side note, I always think that's so – I don't understand the 
15 consecutive life sentences. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, after I finish my first, then yeah. I'll be sure to come back yeah. for my second, yeah. third. Like, but whatever, that's that's a different <laughs> point. Uh, first of all, biggest part of the story you didn't mention, I love his nickname, the Hound of Houndslow. Come on. How did you not bring that <laughs> Sorry. up? The Hound of See, Houndslow. That's why, we, I have, that's why I have my tag team partner here. Uh, I I tend to agree with you. I mean, I we talked so... What, what happened, what, two months ago, right? The uh, the Sterling, Sterling crash, yeah. right? And what did basically a lot of people say was the reason? It was a lot of different things, right? Mm-hmm. It was, you know, you had a, um, you the had a holiday in China. You had the announcement of uh, France going hard on the UK for Brexit. Mm-hmm. You had, it was Friday, it was Thursday late in the day. So trading floors were empty in Europe. We're light in Asia. We're very light in the US. It was, it ended up being Friday, which is when, you know, the option, uh, what, there was just a lot of different things coming together, kind of creating a perfect storm. I, you know, I wrote about this. And ultimately, a- what was so horrible about it? What was so horrible about the flash crash? What was so horrible about these things that, yeah, freaks people out a little bit, but no huge damage? Well, so, and, uh, you know, uh, I wrote an opinion piece on this based off of, too, uh, a column that or a, a piece that Kevin McPartland wrote over at Greenwich Associates, basically saying that this is how the markets work now. Whether you like it or not, what used to ha- occur maybe over the course of two weeks or over the course of a couple of days, that volatility now happens over the course of a couple minutes because everything is so quick. And once something starts to tip, it's the snowball effect. I'm not saying anything that all of you don't understand, but it's a snowball effect. It's quick, 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 and then rebound. And, and that's that's the way the markets work because of the algos that are working there and because of the type of trading that's occurring. And that's just the world we live in. Like you said, if it were the case that one day trader could tip this entire thing, then yeah, maybe we need to look into how the markets are structured and, and the oversight. But I think but that- But then it, we have these stupid regulations like Reg AT's source code provision to, to try and prevent these things so we can figure out what happened. Even though you still have no freaking idea what happened, and this will not help you figure out what happened. Well, what will help you figure it out- Oh man, you are, you've you always the, been so good- Is the consolidated bridges. audit trail. Uh, I won't get too in-depth of it, but it got approved um, uh, earlier this week. And I wrote a story about the approval, and then I wrote a story about uh, my opinion about the approval. To be honest, uh, the Consolidated Oil Trail is, has just hold a special place in my heart because it's something I covered early in my career and have kind of followed it through. I won't get too in-depth to it and just say that one of the biggest things, you know, so they went through, the SEC approved it, and now they have two months to pick a plan processor. There's three people left. FINRA, which runs OATS, which is kind of, Cat Jr. Um, and what Cat will take over for uh, um, Theses Technologies um, and FIS, which acquired SunGuard, which made the original bid. You know, FIS acquired SunGuard last year. The the so the, the SEC comes out and kind of says, well, we took into account your comment letters and we made some changes, some changes around time synchronization, some changes around cybersecurity. Cyber was a big one. The biggest one is duplicate reporting. So as I mentioned before, FINRA operates OATS. OATS is essentially going to be obsolete when CAT is up and running. Uh, the SEC has said that they have estimated it might be two and a half years after the CAT is live that firms will have to continue to report to OATS and CAT, which is absurd. Everyone in the industry has said it's absurd. We talk about how ridiculous Reg AT is. It's just as ridiculous to have firms that are paying going to have to pay billions. It's going to cost billions of dollars to get the cat up and running and running every year. I believe it's over two. It's, I have the exact stat. It's, it's 
$1.4 billion initially it'll cost the industry and $1.7 billion annually it'll cost the industry. And those are just estimates right now, right? And those estimates have actually gone up over time since the original. Yeah, and, and they'll and, probably go up yeah. more just like the timeline's going to continue to rise. So to ask the industry, oh, by the way, you're going to pay a shit ton of money to get cats up, cat up and running. And even though this is supposed to be the end-all, be-all of market you know, oversight, we want you to keep reporting to this shitty little old thing. Um, on the side. I think this is going to be an even bigger issue if FINRA is not selected as the plan processor because FINRA will lose a shit Would you say that the vote would be rigged? Well, it's interesting you ask that because FINRA also can vote, but apparently very much there are walls between those those two parties Mm -hmm. and the party that is voting on the plan processor along with the SROs (laughs) has nothing to do with the party that is putting forward the plan processor plan. Take that from what you will. But that's what FINRA says. That's what the industry says. So we'll see. But if FINRA does not get the plan, is not selected as a plan processor, they're going to lose a ton of money by no longer operating OATS. And I can imagine that they'll want to drag that out as long as possible while they try to find different revenue streams. To get back to the original point, this hopefully, when it is up and running, will be able to give regulators a market view when it is up and running. Who knows? 2020, 2030, it's going to be a while. Um, 2030 is a little bit long, but I mean, as it stands right now, uh, two months left to select a parent processor, and then within a year, uh, SROs will have to start reporting. Two years, large broker-dealers, three years, small broker-dealers. If it holds that timeline, I'll be shocked, but that's where we stand. So that's a quick kind of response to how we can give a better look over the industry. Hooray. Hooray, yeah. Uh, I think that's all for our fintech tech talk. Uh, anything, we didn't even talk about this before, but anything you want to touch on quick non-fintech related? I'll be honest, I don't really want to talk about the election or the reaction to the election. Really to <laughs> um, I'm really kind of sick of it. We can talk a little bit about how your Pats blew it against the Seahawks. Or are you not even worried? Is this still? Uh, it's Yeah, it's that was a classic Belichick game in that he, they don't whip out the full playbook. <laughs> all right. So, so uh, our head of our head of sales, mm-hmm. um, Colin Minahan, great guy, big Pats fan. He comes over and talks to me. Talk a little bit about the game. I don't think you were in at this time. You were out at lunch or something. And he said, "You know, of course, a lot of people say that Belichick exactly what you're saying that he doesn't want to whip out any of the special things mm-hmm. because you might see them again." And he goes, "But also, that's kind of Pats fan being Pats fan." I could I I could accept that. But we've answer. seen that throughout the year against Indianapolis. The the playbook that they would exactly like when Manning was in Indy. You know the playbook that they would have during the regular season game was a lot different during that. The the big concern here is just that the defense four hundred twenty yards or whatever it was against a, a very average you know offense a, a team that has been shut down plenty of times this year. Um, Russell Wilson it was the most passing yards he's ever had in a regular season game. You guys didn't force a punt, right? I don't think there was a punt. Yeah, I don't even know. I can't. I don't remember, um, but um, and you know it, it just goes to show the whole stupidity again. Rid of Jamie Collins, in that you know, wow, we have this amazing athletic linebacker who can contain somebody like a Wilson. Now let's get rid of him for a third round pick. How dare you question the yeah, logic the, of the, Bill Belichick? Yeah. So you know, I mean, listen, it's there's no one obviously in the AFC East that's going to challenge the Pats. There's no one in really the AFC. You know, I mean, at some point. It will come down to what Denver, and that defense, but they have the a terrible offense. I think that we can outshoot any offense like that. I think that 
Derek Carr. I love Derek Carr. I, 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 when he was drafted, I loved him. I loved watching him in watch. college. Yeah. Um, if his last name wasn't Carr, he would have been Super a top Carr. five pick. Um, but everybody said, oh, well, look at his brother. It's like, what does it have to do with anything? His brother was getting murdered in Houston is all. Um, but anyway, yeah, they're an interesting team. But, you know, if you had the kind of Belichick game planning, you know, you got to give him the, the benefit of the doubt there. I, I I understand the sentiment, and I agree if the if the, the Pats are playing the Steelers, if the Pats are playing the Colts, if the Pats are playing the, the Broncos. I completely understand that. But playing the Seahawks, I mean, the only time you're going to – first of all, you're not going to see them again for four years. And the only time you would see them this year is if you made it all the way to the Super Bowl, which means you guys have to make it all the way to the Super Bowl, which, granted, Pats have a good chance. I think they're mm-hmm. the favorite in, in Vegas. But also that means that the Seahawks have to make it all the way to the Super Bowl. So it's – I, yeah, but okay, and, but, and also, and also, it's not like you guys have home field advantage wrapped up, and you saw how that affected you guys last yeah. year. So I wouldn't think I, I would think if I was Belichick, I'd be like, you know what, I'm gonna roll it all out because I need to, I, I need to get this win because I need home field advantage because I didn't do that last year and it bit me in the ass. Yeah, yeah, I mean, listen, yo, know, maybe they did go all out. Um, that was their last scary game on the schedule. The schedule's pretty easy now from here on out. They mm-hmm. don't really face any other challenges. This should be a two, maybe a three-loss team then by the end of the year. If you're that, they'll have the number one seed. They'll be fine. Um, you know, the AFC is just, again, Oakland's interesting, you know, as you know, a team And what about the Steelers? The I know they've kind of had their number. You always got to worry about, you know, them. Obviously, they're an, uh, they have a, what can be an explosive offense, and if Big Ben can figure this thing out. But they haven't been exactly no. clicking on all uh, on all cylinders. Um, so yeah, I, I don't think that there's really any other teams that are that scary. Cincinnati's perennially oh, and uh, just an embarrassment. Um, you know, all the good teams I think are in the NFC. So yeah. What of the teams, the top teams in the NFC, who scares you the most? Oh, you know, uh, Seattle's always going to be just. You know, I mean, there's still a great defense there, even though Brady has had a lot of success against that uh, defense. Um, Dallas is inter. I mean, God, Zeke f- is Zeke Elliott is just the most explosive young player I've seen in it, a long time. Is it Zeke or, or is it the fact that they have the line. best offensive line? A little bit of both, I guess, and that's a fair did point. You, did you watch that game? Uh, did you watch the game last yeah, night? Yeah. I am far from my athletic prime. I could have hit that hole and scored that touchdown at the end of the game. <laughs> like, that was gaping wide. And granted, I don't want to take anything away from Zeke. I like Zeke. I'm an Ohio State fan, so I'm glad he's doing well. I think um, uh, uh, um, Dak, Prescott. Dak is awesome, too. I think it's just a really fun team to watch. And I used to hate the, the Cowboys growing up, but they, it's it's hard not to want to root for them. But that offensive line is so I mean, it's a great offensive incredible. line. But even... Zeke does stuff when he is in open field. Now, granted, he's got these huge holes to go bursting through to get into open field. Mm-hmm. But in open field, he's as quick on a move as anybody I can ever recall of his size. You know? Yeah. I mean, so I, I think— Is he your MVP? Or is Brady? Or what do you think? Well, Brady's going to have a tough one because of the first four games obviously missing. And then, you know, he put up a lot of yards but had a bad interception against Seattle. Gave me lose. Yeah, I don't think that you know Zeke right now is the best player. I think he's get, Dak's done a very good job in there, mm-hmm. um, but Zeke is why they are where they are. I mean, he single handedly was. Granted, you say so, offensive line stuff like that. 
he made some insane plays there. You yeah. Know? No. Yeah. He's he he is incredible. They're they're fun to watch. It'll be interesting. And uh, it'll it's be like watching Aaron Rodgers struggle. And I, I don't know. It just always makes me. I never liked him. So I just really, really enjoy watching him just in that team. Just just be mediocre and bad. You know what, though? I still wouldn't even with all that's happened. Because, I mean, what they still who's the favorite now to win that? They've they got to still be the favorite. Right. Or is because Minnesota has just fallen off a cliff yeah. to win that division. Yeah. Um Definitely not the Bears. I don't know. Detroit. I guess the Lions are all, I don't know, who, who knows. But we we'll still wouldn't want to see him in the playoffs. At the end of the day, I still wouldn't want because Rodgers is still Rodgers. Yeah, he doesn't do anything in the playoffs. I can't wait till we're sitting here in February and it's Pats versus Packers. And Pat and the Packers have gone on some incredible run. And you're saying, eh, no, There's really no can't. chance they're going to make it. And I'm always right in my predictions. <laughs> always right in my on predictions. On that note, we will leave it till next week. Uh, thanks so much for tuning in. And uh, listen back in next Thursday.